Hi friends, welcome back to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. My name's Jeremy McCandless and the project is to work together through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If you're here for the first time, a quick reminder that there's always a full transcript of each and every one of these podcasts available in the episode notes page of the podcast. And there's also links to other ways that you can connect with my ministry and other teaching that I also provide available in there. All of which is completely free for you to access and use in whatever way you want. All available to use in your personal discipleship or even in the preparation of your own Bible teaching or preaching. anyway that's it for now i'll see you at the end just to keep you up to date with a few things but let's drop into the main text as we continue to work together through the book of matthew do you think you're ready for what might be coming boy scouts are taught to be prepared aren't they Now, I wasn't in the Boy Scouts. Lots of my friends were. I was in something called the Boys' Brigade, and its motto was sure and steadfast, actually taken from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. I think we can all agree that being prepared is a good idea, and to be sure and steadfast is also really important, particularly when it comes to facing the valuable things in life. Now, I say valuable. I could have said difficult or challenging, But I often think that those are in fact the same thing. But let me ask you a question. Are you prepared for the future? And when the future arrives, are you prepared to the point that you will remain sure and steadfast no matter what? Maybe the real question I should be asking is how prepared are you for the future? How can we be so prepared that we can face any eventuality? no matter what. Now to answer these questions, I'd like to turn your attention with me to this new chapter in the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. Today we're beginning the first of a couple of days spent in Matthew chapter 3. Now you'll notice straight away this is the story of John the Baptist or the first appearance of him anyway. And you will recall, if you've been journeying with us, last time we reached the end of chapter 2. And at that point, we were still at the stage where Jesus was still a child. But now here we are, just a chapter break, and now Jesus is an adult. So between chapter 2 of Matthew and Matthew chapter 3, there's a large gap, a lot of years, somewhere around near 30 years in fact. However, there is something significant to look out for before we look at this passage. And that is, if you consider and think about the Old Testament that came before this New Testament, in the Old Testament, there were lots of people who were called prophets. But these prophets ceased to exist about 400 years before the events that are being described here occur. In other words, 
There hasn't been a prophet in Israel for 400 years. And then all of a sudden here, John the Baptist appears on the scene. And he is said to be the one who is tasked with preparing the way of the Lord. Now we call him John the Baptist, but some would say perhaps a more accurate name for him might be John the Forerunner or John the Preparer, because he tells us that his sole purpose is to prepare people for the coming arrival of the Lord. Now as I look at this passage, and as we look at this passage, well it seems to me that it naturally falls into three parts. In the first part of this passage, we are told that John came preaching repentance. Then we are told that John practiced baptism. And in the later part of the passage, we are going to see that he proclaimed judgment. So I'd like us to begin by just looking at John and what he preached, what he said. In these opening verses, before it actually tells us about anything he says about what his preaching was about, it tells us a few things about his person. For example, verse 1 says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. And then he quotes Isaiah and says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now this opening phrase of verse 1, in those days, is a reference to the days when Christ is living in Nazareth, which is the way the previous chapter had ended. But what's significant in this verse is it says that John appears in the wilderness. Now we know from other passages of scriptures, namely from the Gospel of Luke, that John the Baptist was actually the son of a priest in Jerusalem. And as the son of a priest, he had the right to be a priest also. He was eligible to serve as a priest in the temple of Jerusalem, a high position that would have been desired by many. But he's not in Jerusalem here. We find him in the wilderness, which is way down by the Dead Sea region in the south, south of Jericho in fact. So what is John the Baptist, the son of a priest, doing preaching in the wilderness and not in Jerusalem? Well, the next verse explains that he is there as the one who was spoken about by the prophet Isaiah, as a voice crying in the wilderness, the one who cries, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, according to Matthew here, Isaiah the prophet prophesied that someone such as this would come crying in the wilderness in this way just before the appearance of the Messiah. And the reference to Isaiah that Matthew quotes is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 which says a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord make straight the desert a highway for our Lord. So the analogy used here has to do with the image of making a road ready for the coming of a king. In the ancient world they obviously didn't have paved roads like we do today and sometimes roads would be improved for the imminent arrival of a king. So just before a king came to town, they sent out word and a messenger would travel into the land and tell people to prepare to make it straight and smooth because the king was going to be passing through their district. Many years ago, over 30 years ago in fact, my wife and I spent some time looking at the work of a missionary society in Nepal. 
And travelling around Nepal, which is a very mountainous, hilly country, there were very many poorly maintained roads, many of which went along the sides of mountains with significant drops off on the opposite side of the mountain. Now, what we became aware of is that there were constant landslides onto those roads, sometimes blocking them, sometimes large rocks, sometimes small. Now, when the king of Nepal travelled out in the roads at that time, the local villagers were told to try and improve the roads, and they would try and clear the stones. Sometimes the stones were too big for people to move who didn't have cars or tractors or machinery. So instead of removing a large stone, sometimes they would just paint it white so it looked more attractive. And the locals used to joke about the fact that the king of Nepal probably thought that all the rocks in Nepal were white. But that's an aside. But the main point here is that there is a call to make a preparation to smooth the way. Now there's an image being used here of taking out the bumps, taking out the stones and the rocks in the path that might trip one up in our personal life, to smooth over the holes, to make our lives a more fitting place in which we can allow the Messiah, the coming King, to pass through. Now, as you will recall, we'll see the subject of the Gospel of Matthew is the fact that Jesus Christ is in fact the King. And what we're being told here is that John the Baptist is the one in fulfilment of the prophecy that before the king comes, that there is one proclaiming, prepare the way for the king. Make the road straight, like I said, make it smooth, prepare for the Messiah who is going to be the king. Now we're also told something else about John the Baptist in the next verse. We're told about the way he dressed. It tells us in verse 4, John's clothes were made of camel hair and he had a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. That sounds a little strange. That makes him sound like a rather strange individual, doesn't it? So what's all that about? Well, actually, the camel hair and the leather belts were just signs that he was operating as a prophet. Prophets in ancient Israel wore camel hair as a sign of mourning, but more specifically, the leather belt described here was a piece of clothing that we know from the Old Testament that Elijah the prophet was declared to have worn. Elijah wore a leather belt according to 1 Kings chapter 1, and we're told in Luke that John the Baptist comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah. It adds that little vignette of information to the same story that it's depicting here. Now, one more thing about John's person. It says he ate locusts and wild honey. Does that sound very appetizing to you? Probably not, because for me, when you think of locusts, you think of an insect. Now, it is possible that that's what it's referring to, but we don't know for sure. And the truth of the matter is that there was something else that was called locusts, and that was a plant. And Bible experts have actually debated for years which exactly this passage is referring to. And I have to say, I don't really believe there's a definitive answer. We don't know for sure. But what we do know, and what this text, the meaning that it's trying to put across, is this is someone who was very different than the the religious establishment around him. And that's kind of the point that this passage is trying to make. So this guy, he's out in the wilderness He's dressed like a prophet, 
And remember, a prophet had not been seen in Israel for 400 years at this point, and he's eating a rather strange diet and behaving in a different way. And he is in the wilderness, and he is in the wilderness because that is how it was prophesied that this forerunner were and how he would appear. My people went out to him from Jerusalem and Judea and the whole region of the Jordan and they came to him confessing their sins and being baptized by him in the river Jordan and that tells us that in verses 5 and 6. So John the Baptist has come to prepare the people for the coming Lord, come to call people to make straight the road of their lives because the Lord the Messiah is about to come amongst them. Now, as I said before, the subject of the book of Matthew is the fact that Jesus is the coming king. So all of this aspect, all of this teaching, all of this perspective is in perfect harmony with Matthew's whole theme in that the Messiah is coming and that one day he will rule as king. And John is preparing the way for him to make his first appearance. But as I said at the beginning, These opening verses, though they tell us some things about the person of John, it's really focusing on his preaching, on what he says, and his desire to tell us how to prepare for the coming king. And the core of his message is contained within the phrase, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now this phrase is going to take a bit of an explanation. Because when most people hear the word repent, they immediately think of stopping sinning, a call to turn from your sins. Stop sinning is what we normally think. And that's something, of course, that I do recommend people do all the time, in fact, even in this podcast. But that's not exactly what the Greek word repent means. The Greek word repent means to change your mind. So therefore, John the Baptist here, his message is not about an external change of your actions. It's a call to an internal change of attitude. Now, of course, the fruit of that might be an external change of actions, but the core message is is a call to a change of attitude, a change of mind, a change in the way you think about yourself and your relationship with God. Well, how do we know that? Well, let's just look at the rest of the passage and unpack it a bit. Picking up the text at verse 7, he says, But when he, that's John the Baptist, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God will raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So what's he trying to do here? What's he dealing with here? What's he trying to connect? He is telling them that these people, these religious leaders, they need to recognize that their problem is in fact in the way they think. And here's what they think. They think, I'm a descendant of Abraham, therefore I am one of the chosen people of God. You see, the attitude at that time was that they believed that, well, we're the descendants of Abraham, and that the Old Testament tells us that we're God's chosen people, and we're going to be in the Messianic kingdom, therefore, when the Messiah comes, and everybody else is going to be excluded. 
In other words, a great many of the Jewish people at the time that Christ was living and appearing amongst them believed that their religion, their religion and the following of their religion was the thing that got them into the kingdom that was coming, the coming kingdom of God. And that's very important. In a sense, the Jews of their days were trusting in their ancestry, which they traced and backed all the way through the family descendants back to Abraham, as their merit for gaining access into the kingdom of God. But then this guy, John the Baptist, comes along and says, Repent. And the word means, as I said, change your mind. So it's a call for a change of internal attitude and he wants them to change their minds he wants them to quit trusting in themselves to quit trusting that they have got some sort of merit because they happen to be descendants of Abraham and start looking to God himself for their righteousness and that in itself is the thing that will bring about the internal change of attitude so what he's calling for is an attitude change not a change in the external acts of what they do and look at verse 8 it tells us he tells them that they need to bear fruit that is worthy of a life of repentance Uh, so that verse clearly demonstrates that there's a difference between the road of repentance and the road of external acts of pride and religious religiosity and it's a separate path to one that relies on your own ancestry your family tree or even your obedience to external acts of religious observance. So John then declares, picking up in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquestionable fire. So my conclusion here is that repentance that has been called for is an internal change of heart, an internal change of attitude, an internal change of direction, which is why he uses the word repent, the decision to turn your life around, to turn and go in a different direction and reflect the internal change of attitude, the fruit of which will be different actions in your life. And John is unpacking this in his message. In other words, the core of it, you've got to change your mind about thinking you can trust in yourself. And instead of trusting yourself to have merit before God, what you have to do is turn to God himself and trust him. So that raises the question, who are you going to trust if you can't trust in yourself anymore? Well, John the Baptist clearly tells them and by nature teaches us today. Well, the whole Bible clearly teaches. He's saying there's one coming after me. At that point, he's saying, there's someone coming after me. I'm not worthy to even carry his shoes. And he's the one you're going to need to trust. Now, in Acts chapter 19, Luke, quoting Paul, says that John the Baptist preached that they should believe on the one who will come after him, namely Jesus Christ. So bound up in this idea of repentance is the idea that you should change your mind from trusting in yourself to trusting in Jesus Christ. In other words, it's kind of a transfer of trust. That's the idea of repentance. You're transferring your trust by believing that you can trust in your own merit in any way, either through your actions or your religious observances, and instead you trust in God's mercy. 
Jesus Christ will be seen to die to pay for sin. He will also be seen to rise from the dead. Jesus Christ changes. In fact, he becomes the transaction that is paid on our behalf for the atonement for sin. From that of trusting in something that we do or something that we say or something that we have done, instead we trust in him. We trust that when he died, he paid price for our sin. And when he arose from the dead, we trust in him that we have not only have that forgiveness, but we have an inheritance in the kingdom of heaven on earth in this life, because that debt of our sin has been paid, but also in the kingdom of heaven to come. So what is this phrase, the kingdom of heaven? Where did that concept come from and what does it mean? Well, we shall find that out in tomorrow's episode. Bye for now. Okay, friends, that's it for today. Thank you again for joining me. I do hope you find it helpful. And if if you are finding these studies helpful in any way, why not consider sharing them? If you happen to use social media of any sort, a link or a like or a share really does enable more and more people to see this work, access this teaching, and basically allows people to make the decision to make the study of the Word of God part of the rhythm of their daily lives. I'm so grateful that so many of you have already decided to do that. Thousands of you, tens of thousands of you, in fact, following along, downloading these podcasts every day, in fact. Now, there are other teaching resources that I'm always making available, not only here on the podcast, but also in places like my LinkedIn page, my Patreon account, and my Facebook and YouTube channels. The main work will always be the audio podcast, but there are also some more structured discipleship courses. A very recent one, which will be going on once a week for the next 12 weeks on YouTube, Patreon, and LinkedIn, is a 12, 30 minute video and audio discipleship course in how to prepare sermon messages. Now, in many ways, I don't feel qualified to do such a thing, but the need is great. I have had many requests from all around the world, particularly in India and Pakistan, to provide resources for people who desire to be evangelists and preachers out there. So I've done that, but rather than just supply it to those group of people who are asking, I've made it completely available, free of charge, to anybody who'd want it. Also within the, within the episode notes are not only links to all those various ways of connecting with the resources I'm making available, there is a way in which you, you can support and partner with this ministry if you feel God's calling you to do that. But anyway, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me and I do hope I'll see you right back here tomorrow on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.